Welcome to the East Main Media Podcast, a series of conversations featuring leaders in a variety of subjects, including business, politics, media, and the arts. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com forward slash podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. Now here's your host, Brian Brodor. I'm here today with David W. Schoner, Jr., the Associate Director of the New Jersey Motion Picture and Television Commission. David, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. We have lots to talk about. Um, let's start with, you're from Belleville. Yes, grew up in Belleville, native. Essex County. Yep. Right. And now you're based out of Cedar Grove, but your film commission job takes you to Newark, right? Yes, sir. Yep. We are recording this in mid-April of 2018, and you and I just spent some time together at the Garden State Film Festival. Let's start there. Why don't you give me a little wrap-up about this year's festival and your involvement with it? Sure. Well, this year's festival is kind of a special one for me and also because they're back in Asbury Park. Um, The Garden State Film Festival originally started in Asbury Park, went to Atlantic City for a short period of time. And so for their Sweet 16, they're back in Asbury Park. And it's even more special for me because now I'm official board member of the uh, Garden State Film Festival. I have been involved with the Garden State Film Festival since their inception. I had met Diane Raver a year before she started it with Pastorelli, and it was really exciting to be a board member at the festival. Now, tell me a little bit about some of your specific involvement at this year's festival, including the high school entries. That seemed like it was really exciting. So one of the things that I'm really about is um, very much is mentoring and involvement. I live in Cedar Grove now, and we actually have a film club there. And so one of the great things that we wanted to do, and Garden State is also about mentoring and nurturing, is they had two blocks, two screening blocks on Saturday and Sunday of high school films. And so when Diane always is looking for hosts and Lauren are always looking for hosts, you host a block of films. I was like, no, I want to do the high school. I want to be able to talk to those kids, empower them, excite them, and also they put their blood, sweat, and tears into their little projects. And so let's make sure that they get all the credit that they deserve. Can you tell me a little bit of your description or perception of what the high school kids are seeing through their eyes as filmmakers? You know, we live in an age of technology. The filmmaking tools are right in our pockets, whether it's our phones or GoPros or whatever. Can you Translate that a little bit. How did you see that? Well, one of the biggest things I think that uh, happened is that we have a lot of modern technology right now. And so when I was a young man making my movies, I shot on Super 8. And so I knew that a 10-minute cartridge of Super 8 film cost $5.34. To get it developed was two thirty-four. so I knew what it would cost me. So these young people have the ability now to use any really type of technology to make a project. But at the end of the day, the vibe still came back to the story. It came back to the story with those kids. When you talk to them before and afterwards, and I would ask them what was going on, they always would talk about their story, and then they would talk about how they made it. And obviously that's a theme going back to Thomas Edison in the original uh, motion pictures, Stories King. 
Let's talk about Cedar Grove a little bit. I mean, from what I know about you, you have a strong connection to the community, um, not only as you mentioned the high school, but you're active on, on the Board of Education, I think. Yes, yes. Tell me a little bit about the connection to community and what it means to you. When I grew up and I was at Belleville High School, there was the drama teacher there who, uh, his name was Robert Leffelbein, and he was really a great mentor and really kind of did those extra things to nurture that creativity in me. But it was just really that one isolated person, per se. I had other people that helped me along the way. I don't want to negate them, but... As I started getting involved in stuff in Cedar Grove, it's about being involved in your community, doing stuff, whether it's volunteering and also trying to do something that maybe someone else is not doing. And so when you talk about the high school and the film club, you know, the first year that they tried three years ago, they had eight kids and uh, they didn't make a film. And so I wasn't really as involved in the school system per se. I was still involved, but not as involved. And so the second year when I got involved, they had 15 kids and they made one movie. And so this year we have 30 kids and we're going to make four films. And this, you have to remember, our school is so small. There's only 534 kids in it, 510. So you're using the same kids that are doing the drama production, the musical production. They're doing a thousand things. So to have that type of enrollment is really kind of exciting. I think I read recently you received a recognition from the Women in Media of Newark. Is that right? Yes, I'm on the board of several film festivals, and Women in Media Newark is an organization that uh, promotes stories about women and also stories that are mostly made by women, whether woman is a filmmaker, female is a filmmaker, director. And so occasionally there will be a director that is a male if it's a very strong female story. So I've been with them for about five years now. Pam Morgan, who's the executive director, had called our office up and was just looking for some guidance. And I really got talking to her and connected with her. And uh, she asked me to come on board. And I call her like my second mother uh, because you want to help nurture things that are really trying to make a difference in the world. And she really wants to get those female voices out there. And you could be, you know, male to help it. And so we've been very active. Two years ago, we screened down at Monmouth University, a night of films. And so we're just trying to, how do you keep on spreading what's going on? So moving the ball forward here. So before we get to your current film company, which is Great Mustachio Filmworks. Yes. We have a lot to talk about that. And for those who are listening to this podcast, the obvious thing that would be missing is that you, of course, sport a uh, handlebar mustache. Yes. So we'll come back to that. Okay. <laughs> so before we get to Great Mustachio, tell me a little bit about your path to Corrado Schoner Filmed Entertainment, which you had several releases into Netflix and other distribution. Tell me a little bit about your path to that company and really the beginnings of your interest in film as a career. Well, wow. So interest really started when I was a teenager. You know, I wanted to be a vet for like maybe a year or two, and then it was done because I love animals. And then film uh, really captivated me. When I grew up, I grew up in the age of disaster films, The Towering Inferno, The Poseidon Adventure, Earthquake. So I'm really dating myself. But I grew up in that era, and I really loved everything to do with filmmaking. And so I wanted to make my own movies. And so I figured it out. I went and bought a Super 8 camera from my paper route, got a Super projector and I would make these stories and we were the studio that would copy the major studios releases. So if anyone's familiar with the movie Ben, 
right. about the rats sure, and sure, stuff like course, that. So yeah. we did one about roaches. And so we would always be the studio that kind of mimicked the major blockbusters. And I stayed with it through high school. And then in college, I went to NJCU, New Jersey City University, and really stayed with it. And one of the biggest things I remember is when I was at college is I wanted to intern and get some practical experience. And so I went to the co-op department and push came to shove, they placed me at the New Jersey Film Commission. So I started working there in 1985 and uh, was doing well and having a good time. But I always have this creative fire inside of me. And so I love assisting other people's productions. I love multitasking. I can do a bunch of things at different times, but I really wanted to do something creative. And uh, a friend had hooked me up with Greg Corrado, who was a young man who was actually getting his master's degree in screenwriting at New York University. And so we kind of hit it off personality-wise because when you're going to be partners with somebody in the film business, you it is a marriage. It's a long relationship. So we kind of had the same kind of beliefs in the type of movies we wanted to make. And so the first movie we made uh, was called Electing Jack Powell. You learn from this mistakes. First thing is we shot it on Super 16. Uh, the second thing is we shot it on weekends. So we didn't shoot straight shoe. We shot it on weekends. And the third thing was it was about politics. So three things that uh, made it very difficult. So that did not work as well, but was a great learning experience. And we did not spend a lot of money. After that, we came up with the story about reincarnation. Greg wrote it. I love to be creatively involved. I'm not a writer, but I love story. I'm good with story. And we came up with what we called Murder reincarnated. And we used a guy named Christian De La Fuente at the time who was very popular on TV. He was doing a movie called Driven, something called Hidden Hills. He was very popular. And a young woman named Isabel Miko who was in Coyote Ugly, which was a very big film at the time. So we shot it on mini DV. Yeah, so we decided to go digital, one camera mini DV. We filmed it and uh, then did the festival circuit. And so on the festival circuit, because of the topic of reincarnation, we did very well. And so long story short is we Meaning got, that was kind of the hook, you mean? Of the, the hook, film? the hook. Whenever you're doing a story, you want it to be true to yourself. You want it to be something that you love. But it also has to be maybe something that is the zeitgeist of the time or it's something that is really piquing people's interest. Obviously, you have to be passionate about it. And reincarnation at the time was really, for that period of time, was piquing a lot of people's interests. And we traveled the country doing film festivals. And we won, you know, not tooting my own horn, we won eight major awards, you know, Best Picture, Jury Award, Best Director, Best Actor. And we were in Mexico, London, California. We traveled every place and it was a great trip. And back then, when you made a movie, you wanted to be in film festivals and win awards because you wanted to gain respectability. Film festivals are a great way for the industry to separate what the industry perceives as something really good and stuff that, you know, they may not. And I'm not making value judgments about content. So by doing this, we wind up getting a sales agent and they distributed the movie. Back then, the way you distributed movie was home video. Right. So it was blockbuster. Any sort of outlet, that home video type of thing was the way we went. Of and course, so, standard definition, right? You're shooting yeah, a mini DVD, yes, yes. VHS, and eventually DVD, all standard def. Yes. No HD yet. That's exactly right for that period of time. And so if for younger people that are listening or something, you may not comprehend that that was at the time. That was the way it went. And then, uh, you know, we did a lot of little things in between and decided to come up with another story idea. It really happened after September 11th. And uh, that had a big impact on everybody. And we wanted to talk about how... 
once again, spirituality. It's a big thing in our films, not necessarily religion or God, but just spirituality. And so we decided to do a story about a woman who is dealing with her husband who died on September 11th, and she works at a pharmaceutical company, and people are poisoning people through the mail. Now, this is the film called A Dangerous Place. Place. Yes, sir. A Dangerous Place. And it stars Kristen Dalton. Mm -hmm. And Kristen Dalton, we got because she had just finished The Departed. She played Jack Nicholson's girlfriend in The Departed. Sure. And we changed up the technical aspect of A Dangerous Place as well. We shot on Panasonic cameras with P2 cards. Sure, P2s. Yeah. We shot on P2 cards, and we used two cameras. Hmm. And the reason we used two cameras because we wanted to be easier on our editor, drop everything on the timeline, and then also to help our actors because – you know, typically when you film, you shoot one person and you turn it around, you shoot the other person. We wanted to have the cameras on both of them so that the performance was up. Yeah. And they're both... They're doing the scene, right? Absolutely yeah. doing the scene. Yeah, yeah. And so that worked out well. And uh, we shot that. And then we did the film festival route again. And it was successful. It was very successful. Once again, we won eight major awards. We were opening night a bunch of places. We did really, really well. Now the dynamic of distribution has changed. So while we did not get a theatrical release, we got a digital release. And digital release being, it was the tail end of the Blockbuster era. So when you went into Blockbuster, we were still there, DVD, but we were uh, video on demand. And we were also with Netflix. And also the distributor put us on these different cycles of, I would describe them as movies of the week. Because if you remember at that period of time, going back 10 years ago, 12 years ago, is that the amount of original production being made is not what it's like today. Correct. So you would have a movie of the week. And so he would package our film and license it to ABC so that it would make the rounds on only owned and operated ABC affiliates around the country. that's great. And so that was our digital release. Both films, I would note, and I wasn't on the board at the time, we premiered both at the Garden State Film Festival, Mm -hmm. where the opening night films, and we won the Jury Award and the Audience Award both times. Wow. So it was a lot of fun. And right out the gate. I mean, boom, here, let's do these movies, and bang, you're winning all these awards. Yes. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. Before we get away from that, I wanted to touch on, you know, you're speeding over a lot of details, and that's fine, but... I wanted you to speak to, you know, the novice filmmaker who's hearing this mm-hmm. and is curious about, oh, wow, they went out, they got P2 cards and they shoot this movie. Oh, two cameras, no problem. They get the sales and distribution and la-di-da, they're often winning awards, right? <laughs> so, you know, and I don't want to paint you in a corner on this, no. but, but, you know, let's shine a light a little bit on that's the express explanation, right? It, 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 so, it is, know. yes. Well, you know, so. the, the biggest thing I would say to someone who's a novice filmmaker is really is that your passion, take that passion, and you have to really concentrate it. You know, it's determination, passion, and persistence. You know, you have to really concentrate that. 
And the beauty of what's going on right now is that the technology is there for them. There is so many ways they could do wonderful things where when we were doing our stuff back in the day, the only editing system was an Avid and you that was like $130,000. So it was very difficult to edit. We had to beg, borrow and steal to have something, but it's just staying true to that. And also you should make sure that you are networking the heck out of everything that you're doing. Everyone you talk to, you should stay connected with because the film community, as much as people think it's a big community, it's really not. It's a very small community. And you just don't know when, I don't mean someone's going to help you in a bad way, but people want to help other people or you can just work it in a way that maybe you're doing something for them, they're doing something for you. You just don't know how it's going to materialize. And to be fair, when I raised money for my movies, I would say I spoke to both times, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to inflate it too much, close to 600 people. And so the first film, uh, Murder Reincarnated, we made it for $200,000. And then A Dangerous Place, we made for $300,000. But the technology was very expensive back then. And so now the technology's not. And so now you have this wonderful thing, Indiegogo, Kickstarter, uh, GoFundMe, whatever you want, you have the passion and you also can raise money in small amounts from people to support your passion. Now that's a perfect segue. Great Mustachio Filmworks, I'd like to hear yes. about that, but most importantly, you mentioned crowdfunding or your Indiegogo campaign. So tell me about Arthur Futuro. Yes, Arthur Futuro is a creative thing that came out of my brain because for the past five years, I've been very, very involved in the school system and involved with children's TV and stuff like that, watching it, a lot of it. And so what I wanted to do is create a show that would be very different from other sitcom type shows that kids watch. I wanted the show to be serialized where every episode would leave up to a conclusion at the end of the season. And also I wanted something, you know, would have the gags and stuff like that, but also you'd have a little bit more empathy. So I describe it as like I Carly meets Henry Danger. It's it's kind of a cross between. So Arthur Futuro is about this middle school kid. And if you're in middle school and your parents don't pick you up, you go to aftercare. And so aftercare, they take care of you. So it's about Arthur and his three friends, and they are in aftercare together. One day, Arthur forgets his book that is in a classroom. He goes into the classroom, gets the book, and the smart board turns on, and his future self, who's about 40, 50, is on the TV telling him that he needs to change the present oh. because his three best friends aren't in the future. And so while it seems like, oh, this is going to be gruesome, it's actually, you know, it's comedy, it's a little seriousness, but it's, you know, it's overall, it's like a sitcom that's serialized and has comedy in it. Yeah, and it's a quest. Yes, exactly. If there's a goal, there's something that's going on. And kids are very much engaged. They want to be engaged and have a vested interest in the content they're watching. Now, at the time of our recording this, you have an Indiegogo campaign that's active. I think you've just reached a goal recently, at least uh, that you've got quite we're, a bit of... Yep, we're up to 50%. And, right. and so we're thrilled about that. And so, you know, this is talking about uh, using a different form of it. I'm a little bit old school, not that I love technology, love technology. But old school, you just would sit down across the table from someone and ask them to help you. But, uh, you know, we're going to use what everyone else is doing. And it's great because it gives the people the ability who believe in your passion, feel your passion, and want to help your passion... It gives them the ability to 
give you something that they can afford because everyone can't afford to give you thousands of dollars. But you know, you know, the person down the street that you talk to or the grocery person or someone who just loves film that really believes in you, yeah, they can give you $50, $25 and it adds up. Sure does. So let's back up just a little bit. Tell me a little bit about Great Mustachio and what you guys are doing there. Well, Great Mustachio came out of Corrado Schoner and I are no longer partners just because Greg is writing books, which I'm actually thrilled and excited for. And so I wanted to get more creative, get back to doing creative stuff. And I was always kicking it around because I do have a handlebar mustache. And so uh, someone joked with me one day that I should call it Great Mustachio. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to go with it. Stuck. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the advice I would give people in the business is that you want to figure out how you can stand out. I don't mean stand out in a bad way or stand out in a way that is not professional or conducive to a professional environment. And I don't have a lot of hair on my head. And I could be a little bit big personality. And so one of the things I say is that I can't control what's going on up here on top. So I'm going to control uh, what's going on in the face. So how long have you had your handlebar mustache? I've had my handlebar mustache for five years now. Okay. I decided when they first were doing Movember, I don't know if you remember that, Movember, I decided I had thought about it for like a year or two before then. And I really decided I was going to go for it. Let me just try it. It took people a little bit getting used to because, you know, there's not a lot of handlebars around, but everyone really seems to love it. It's interesting. Tell me something you learned about maintaining a handlebar mustache. If this was five years ago, I mean, how much did you know about it before you grew one and, and maintained it? Did you have a mustache before? You know I've had you? a mustache since high school. Okay. But I've had, you know, that typical mustache. It's just, it's something that I played with a goatee. I played with the soul patch. I did the whole thing. I played with the beard and nothing really stuck with me in a lot of ways. And so I actually just thought about it, didn't do a lot of research about it, thought about the mustache and then just went for it. The interesting period of time though is during the growing period. And a lot of people may not know this. You look like Pepe Le Pew, who is from the cartoon because you can't curl it. Yeah, and it just sticks straight out of Salvador Dali. So that may be a great reference. It looks like Dali, not in a good way. And so the biggest thing I learned is um, a life hack. And so I went to forums about handlebar mustaches. And so I was buying these very expensive waxes and I couldn't get it to work right. And it was always a little bit of a problem. And they're also scented. And so I'm not a big scent guy. I like unscented. And so my life hack I learned from a guy who has an amazing mustache in Philadelphia. I wish I knew his name. He's very, very uh, successful. He uses Elmer's stick glue. And Elmer's stick glue is a non-toxic glue. It's made for kids. When they touch it, they can eat it and nothing happens to it. So I use uh, Elmer's extreme stick glue. And I actually love the way it holds my mustache together. And it washes out in a heartbeat. Nice. It doesn't smell. Well, that's fascinating. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for talking about that. That's my life hack. So let's let's move on to your career, your position at the New Jersey Commission for Motion Picture and Television. For those of us who don't know what that is, explain what the office does. Great. So we are a state agency that uh, the state of New Jersey has. We are under the Secretary of State, but we're really, we're economic development agency. We're here to assist filmmakers that are filming in New Jersey 
want to film in New Jersey with all the little behind the scenes stuff. So you could be a filmmaker coming from out of state, Europe, wherever. You could be a local filmmaker, student filmmaker, independent filmmaker. We're here to guide you through the process and help you navigate what you should do, what you shouldn't do, and give you our experience at doing it. So a filmmaker would call us up and want to shoot someplace. We would tell him what the permitting was in a particular town. We would find locations for him. We also process child labor permits when you do short-term stuff. And so we're not an arts organization per se. We're really a business organization of economic development. Now that leads straight to a very important topic. At the time of our speaking now, there's a bill sitting on our new governor's desk, Governor Phil Murphy, for a tax incentive plan for filmmakers, film and television in New Jersey. Tell us what that's about. Uh, obviously, it's sitting on his desk to be signed, but tell us what that means to the state. So um, New Jersey, the legislature wants to incentivize filmmakers to film here. And so whether you like uh, tax incentives or not, the film business goes where there's a tax incentive. And so if you have some form of a tax incentive where you're basically we're giving a rebate, you give a piece of paper to the film companies that they can sell or transfer. I don't want to get too complicated in it, but uh, it is something you're basically giving them incentive the way you may rebate uh, development that's coming in or tax exempt a building. We're giving them an incentive to film here. And it does work when you have one. And just to simplify it. Right. So mm -hmm. that means it's more affordable for a film producer yes. to do their production in New Jersey. Yes. What we do is we give them, it's, you're giving them a credit against their corporate taxes in New Jersey. Right. So whatever your corporate tax is, you're going to get a credit against what you would have to pay. So you would be paying less. That is the oversimplified version. And let me drill into that a little bit. So can you help me differentiate the idea of a film company, let's say from Hollywood, they have one set of concerns, right? Financial and That's otherwise. Right. Then there is New Jersey-centric filmmakers uh, who live here and their companies are established here. Can you differentiate between those two scenarios? They're almost the same in some ways because the filmmaker that wants to come into the state wants to come in here uh, but wants some sort of tax incentive. And the filmmakers or businesses that are in New Jersey want that business. Right. And so the tax incentive drives that business all over. You're going to get that out-of-state filmmaker that's going to come here. And part of the requirement of using our tax incentive is you have to use New Jersey businesses, New Jersey people. I'm once again talking very generally, but you have to use all those New Jersey services, whether it's the dry cleaner, the local grocery store, the local lumber store, whatever that may be, because the only way you get the incentive is by using local businesses. Right. And those businesses don't have to be necessarily film businesses, because when you're in a film company, you buy lumber from a lumberyard. Sure. I mean, there's a myriad of support and logistic services that go into making both feature films, but television as well. Right. And I would assume being the state next to New York, there's probably a lot of producers and directors looking over the river saying, hey, we could do things generally cheaper in New Jersey, and now with an incentive, it's doubled down. Exactly. And, you know, we are cheaper. We are cheaper. Um, we've always been hungrier, and we really go out of our way to make it work. I mean, that's one of the things we really pride our office on is that we'll deal with student filmmakers, music videos, industrials. No matter what it is, we're going to treat everyone the same, $60 million or $100. It doesn't matter. We're going to treat you the same because the people that don't have a lot of money as you're coming up, we want them to think about us 
as being their first place as they start growing. And New Jersey offers a variety of locations and lots of different opportunities to film, both rural and urban, everything from Newark to, you know, scenic Western pastures, really. Would the tax incentive also affect movie studios coming here and building? Yes, the tax incentive will, because when you're going to make an investment of building some sort of infrastructure, such as a studio, you want to make sure that you're going to have the business that's going to be paying for all the debt you're going to be taking on to build that building. And so this incentive should start that building going on because first of all the studios they need to shoot as much as they possibly can here on that show and they're going to need that space and so we're talking to a lot of people about studio space and it will develop that as a very strong industry well that's great news and we'll wait with bated breath to see what governor murphy does and in which way it goes the biggest thing is that there's an amazing talent pool here in the state whether it is acting or just behind the scenes stuff maybe you're a, a stylist there's an amazing talent pool here and also the quality of life is really great here i think we get a big beating sometimes on it but you know it's pretty pretty cool and whatever you're looking for if you're living in suburbia or ruralness but i want to go to the opera you have it here and it's one of the big selling points that we've always used is that no matter what you want new jersey has it perfect i agree with that before i get to my last question tell me something about you that most people don't know Hmm. Wow. Uh, I guess maybe I'm an avid uh, fitness enthusiast. So I try to exercise every day. Maybe obsessive is a word, but uh, I try to exercise every day. In what form? Runner? I'll run. I'll go to the gym. I feel that, you know, it's a great way to express it when you're doing anything, even in the film business, is that you really have to be, when you're in this type of business, you have to be really very passionate about it and obsessive about it. Not obsessive about it that it's a detriment, but obsessive about it that you're driven to do it. And so I make sure every morning I get up, I go to the gym, I exercise, I do something, even if it's only walking. And so that carries over into doing the film business stuff as well, because you have to be very passionate about this because there's a lot of people that want to be in this business and you have to figure out how you stand out. So my last question, which I often like to ask is phone rings, you pick it up, have a conversation, you hang it up. And the person on the other end just solved your biggest problem or concern. Mm -hmm. Who was it? And what did they solve? You know, it would be Ted Sandros, who's running Netflix right now. And my biggest problem is getting distribution for Arthur Futuro on uh, having someone pick this series up for a season. That would be my biggest issue right now. Everything else is pretty good. I'm feeling good. Things are great. That would be my biggest issue right now. Well, I think you're going to accomplish that. You've got a lot of momentum. You know a lot of people and everybody's fond of you and what you're doing. So thanks for taking time to talk to me, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. This has been a production of East Main Media. Hosted by Brian Brodeur. Special thanks to associate producer Morgan Taylor, audio engineer J.P. Conk, senior producer Kayla Galka. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a good rating. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com. And thank you for listening.